Thank you, Steve. It is good to be here with you guys today. Um, it is it's Thanksgiving week. Did you guys have a good time? Good time with family and eat too much food and all of that stuff? Um, I know we ate more than we needed that day. <laughs> um, let, let's um, take a moment to pray and give thanks to the Lord. Um, Father, you have blessed us with so many things, Lord, so much abundance in this nation. And Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your, your many blessings that we celebrate this time of year, Lord, with Thanksgiving, with Christmas coming up, and, and all that that, that entails. Um, but Father, we recognize first and foremost that the greatest gift that you have given to us is not just food on our table or the families that we have or the, the nice homes that we have, but Lord, the greatest gift that you have given us is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. And so, Father, we first begin by thanking you for, for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one whom we've been praising in these songs, Lord. Um, thank you for, for the abundance that we have in Christ, Lord, the amazing blessings that you've given to us um, Lord, may we celebrate those things today. Um, Father, I pray for Steve and Stephanie Bradbury as they're heading over the pass today for a, an appointment for her. Lord, I pray that you'd keep them safe and pray that that um, doctor's appointment would be helpful, beneficial. And um, Lord, uh, I pray for those um, through the holidays here that are um, missing um, loved ones who have passed, for those who are, are lonely or um, struggling with depression in any way, Father, we pray for your comfort, for your encouragement, and Lord, may that come through this community as well. And Father, this morning as we um, turn to consider your word, Lord, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your word. Lord, give us great understanding of these things, and Lord, may we respond in faith to what you have for us, God. Um, you have spoken clearly in the scriptures. You have spoken to us and granted us the incredible privilege of knowing you through your word. And so I pray, Father, this morning um, that each one of us would truly know you as Lord and Savior in our lives, Lord, and that each one of us um, would grow in our appreciation of you and what you've done for us. Father, we love you, and we just pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The message of the gospel is always personal. Every one of us has to decide what we're going to do with this message. Are we going to embrace the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God who came to earth and lived a perfect life and died for our sins on our behalf in our place, or will we exchange that for something else? Every one of us has to decide. Um, in our passage that we're looking at today here in Galatians 6, Paul is going to press the point of what it is that we are going to do with the cross of Christ. How will we respond to the cross of Christ? He begins with this verse here, um, Galatians 6.11, this, this rather odd statement. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Um, I can't read that verse without thinking of a friend of mine who, in his high school yearbooks, always signed his name, and then below it wrote Galatians 
<laughs> so if, if you've ever seen people sign their name in a high school yearbook and then write John 3.16 or something, you know, some, some reference that they want you to go back and look up, he would write Galatians 6.11 because they go back and they look at it and they're like, what? <laughs> what does that even mean? So a little bit of historical background here is actually rather helpful. Um, you know, I, I carry with me a Pilot G2 .07 pen everywhere I go. It's an amazing little piece of technology. It has an ink supply that will last for months for me. It's a gel ink pen. I, it's retractable, so I don't get ink on stuff. It, it's extremely reliable. They didn't have these 2,000 years ago. They also didn't have white paper that, that they could just go to the store and buy 2,000 years ago. It was really expensive 2,000 years ago to write a letter. And so you had to get parchment. You had to get a some form of quill and ink that you could use to write, and it was, it was a very difficult process, and so they would usually hire a scribe. A scribe, or the technical term was an amanuensis, who would write the letter while they dictated the letter. And so that's what Paul does. In, in the book of Romans, you, you find um, this reference to this guy, Tertius. And Tertius was the one who was writing down the letter for Paul. Well, at the end of a letter, they would often leave a postscript where they would sign their name and then maybe one or two more comments. And that was their way of basically doing what we do. You know, you, you, you buy a home and you didn't write out all the legal documents. Someone else did all that. You sign your name at the bottom and say, yeah, I agree with all that stuff. Well, that's what they would do. They would have a scribe write out the letter and then they would take the quill in hand write down their name, maybe a, a comment or two more. And so that's what Paul's doing here. That's why this odd statement, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Paul has picked up the pen, and he's writing a few last comments here to just share his heart with them personally one last time. It's actually kind of a longer postscript compared to what they would normally do. And so what we see here is this sharp contrast that Paul puts forward between two different ways to view the cross of Christ. Two different ways that we can approach the cross of Christ. And the very first one that he gives is, again, what he's doing is he's portraying the folks that have come along that are false teachers that he's been dealing with through this letter to these folks here in Galatia. And he's warning them not to follow these false teachers. And so the first approach that he gives is to attempt to remove the offense of the cross. And so that's really what he's getting at is, is the approach that these false, te false teachers were taking. Now, it's worth mentioning that the cross was offensive. Um, I think we've, we've had enough time pass, 2,000 years, people wear crosses on necklaces now. Um, the cross was offensive back then. Uh, Paul points this out in another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. It was a stumbling block to the Jews because they could not imagine that the Messiah would be hung on a tree. That was something that was considered a curse according to the Old Testament law. It was considered foolishness, foolishness to the Gentiles that your Savior would die a criminal's death. 
That none of this made any sense to them. In fact, the cross was so shameful that the Romans would not mention it in polite company. It was something you, you wouldn't even say that someone was crucified. So we have euphemisms. You guys are familiar with what a euphemism is, right? Um, so it's something that you wouldn't, you know, you find another way to, to say something in polite company. And so you don't say that that person died. You say, he passed away. Or you, instead of saying that, you know, she was fired, we would say she was let go. It's a diplomatic way of saying it. Or people aren't poor, they're economically disadvantaged. Well, the Romans would avoid saying that someone, that a man was crucified. They would say he was hung on the unlucky tree. It was a very unlucky tree. Um, in a lot of ways, I think we've lost the sense of how offensive the cross was because of jewelry that has necklaces on it or crosses for the past 2,000 years that we put on our churches, right? Every church has a cross somewhere, right? Um, do we have a cross? I don't know. Maybe we're not legit. We're not a real church yet. I don't know. We need to get a cross. Um, but for 2,000 years, this icon has been all over the place. And so we tend to forget that it was an instrument of torture and execution and one of the ugliest things that human beings have ever come up with. It was, it was terrible. Uh, can you imagine, for instance, like if, if instead of the cross, we had the noose. The noose is our religious symbol that we, we carry around. That, that just, oh, it's, it seems offensive. Uh, one modern translator, uh, a guy from the Deep South, um, translated Paul's words here this way. He said, God forbid that I should ever take pride in anything except in the lynching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That communicates the idea. The cross was offensive. And so the Judaizers, we, we get a little glimpse into their motivation here, um, that they were not necessarily denying who Jesus was or what he did, but they were downplaying it. They were adding to the gospel. They were saying, Jesus is good, but you also need this other stuff. And in a way, they were kind of distracting from the central message of the cross. And so we read here in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they were trying to avoid persecution. Um, they, they want to make a good showing in the flesh, or as the New Living Translation says, they want to look good to others. And man, that's a temptation we all face, isn't it? I think every last one of us at some point wants to look good to others. We want, to, we want you know, some measure of popularity or, or something. These false teachers, though, were compromising the gospel in the process. So they wanted to avoid persecution, and we don't get a lot of details, but apparently they just wanted to fit in. And by downplaying the message of the cross, they were able to do that. And then we find in verse 13, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, which Paul has pointed out earlier, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so their, their focus wasn't just avoiding persecution, that was part of it, but it was also to brag about how many followers they had, right? This, this whole, you know, the, the Facebook trying to get a million likes or whatever, like none of that's new. People have always 
pursued things like that. The, the desire for popularity shows up in every generation. And when it comes to the Christian faith, it is a super dangerous thing. And so it gets repackaged in many ways, but it's the same basic idea where someone says, people are offended by this stuff. People are offended by this stuff. So we need to make it more appealing to modern ears. And so, you know, let's, let's remove some of those things that are offensive, or at least let's not make such a big deal about them. Instead, let's put the focus on the things that people can really feel good about. And so there have been many movements in the, in the history of the church. We could do a whole church history class just on this, on ways that people have tried to take the, the good news of the gospel and update it, make it relevant for, for modern times, right? The, 200 years ago, there was this movement, the, the liberal theology movement began in Germany 200 years ago, and it was mainly for this purpose. We need to help the, the modern enlightenment thinkers accept the gospel, and so let's downplay a bunch of this stuff. And, and you see that in churches today. It's, it's really, it's very easy to fall into this of wanting popularity and wanting, I mean, ultimately it comes down to wanting people to embrace this message, but in the process, we downplay the message of the truth. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of churches um, could, could easily fall into the trap of not wanting to proclaim God's word. Right? Because God's Word says that God made the world, and therefore He gets to determine what's right and wrong. We don't. And He is the judge. And ultimately, we can only find ourselves acceptable in His sight through the one means that He has given to us, which is Jesus Christ. And that sounds very exclusive. And so, to our modern ears, you know, that those, those are tough things to hear. And so, we have a choice and it's the same choice that I think Paul is pointing out here, and that is um, the choice between avoiding persecution. That's the first option is avoid persecution, fit in, pursue popularity, um, look for ways to repackage the message or at least downplay the message of the cross. So that's one option. Or we can do what Paul did. And what Paul did was to boldly proclaim loudly and clearly the message of the cross of Christ everywhere he went because it's good news. And he proclaimed it so clearly everywhere he went. So the choice that we face is do we attempt to remove the offense of the gospel or do we boast in the beauty of the cross of Christ? That's the second option boast in the beauty of the cross of Christ. Look at what Paul says here in verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross is beautiful. Now, I, I said just a minute ago, it's the ugliest invention or one of the ugliest inventions that, that human beings have ever come up with. And that's true. It was a horrible instrument of death. But the amazing thing about it is that God takes this ugly thing and makes something beautiful out of it. Isn't that amazing? That he's able to take something absolutely terrible and find beauty in that same thing. Um, I love the way Tim Keller communicates the message of the gospel. He says, the gospel is this. 
We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Both things at the same time. And so in our sin, we were ugly and terrible, and yet Christ makes us beautiful and new. And and this passage that we're looking at says that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they are a new creation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so everything that was marked by the, the stain of sin in us, all of that is transformed through the gospel. And so we've been going through Galatians. Paul shares his own story, his own example. And if you remember, Paul was the self-righteous persecutor of the church. Um, he was a Pharisee committed, committed to eradicating Christianity. And in that, he was sinful and he was directly opposed to God. That's where Paul was. And so the gospel is that God can take someone like Paul and turn them into someone who proclaims the gospel. And Paul becomes the apostle, Jesus, the apostle of Jesus Christ, the one who carries forth this message everywhere he goes. And so Paul's own life is, is a picture of this going from ugly to beautiful. And, and so we see this amazing change. So how does Paul, how is it that Paul could brag, because that's what he's doing here. How is it that Paul could brag about his association with the cross when most people wouldn't even talk about it in polite company? Nobody, no, nobody wants to talk about the cross. We don't say he's crucified. He was hung on the unlucky tree. How is it that Paul can boast about this? And it's because of he understood what it meant, right? He understood what the cross meant. Everything changed when the perfect Son of God came and gave his life for our sins. And so because of that, Paul sees the absolute beauty in what Christ has done for us. We deserve the penalty for our sins, and Jesus paid it in full. And so Paul says, far be it from me to boast or brag or or glory in anything except for what Jesus has done for me. In the cross of Christ, we we have this moment when Jesus is on the cross, and he says, it is finished. And the penalty is paid, and it's finished. And so we don't have to try to add to what Christ has done. That's really the message of what Paul has been saying, is we don't have to add to, to something that Christ did. We don't need to add circumcision to be saved. That's his point. We don't need to add some ritual at a temple to be saved. We don't need to add some extra work to be saved. What we need is faith in Jesus Christ, um, which leads, he says, to this new way of relating to the world around us. So look here in um, verse 15, or 14, I'm sorry. Paul says, "Far Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Very similar to what he told us Over in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So when a person becomes a Christian and they embrace this good message, um, ultimately they are identifying with Jesus. His death, his new life become the basis for our death and our new life. And so when Jesus died on the cross, we died. And when Jesus rose to new life, we received new eternal life. And so that's really what we communicate when we get baptized. Romans 6 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so that's, what, that's how Paul is able to say, the world was crucified to me, and I was crucified to the world. That whole life, everything that he had that was associated with the world, is dead and gone. So Paul is not out there trying to win fame and popularity and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's abandoned all of that. He had some measure of respect among the Pharisees, in Judaism, and he's abandoned all of that. Paul's also not concerned about persecution. (laughs) He deals with a lot of persecution. Um, Towards the end of his ministry, he's warned, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And he goes anyway. He, He continues to pursue proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Christ because anything that the world had a hold on him is gone. It's completely gone. And so he's able to see the cross as this complete turning point in his life. Um, I read a, a book here a little while ago um, called God's Smuggler. And um, probably some of you have read that book. It's about a, a man who spent his life smuggling Bibles into really some of the most dangerous places on earth at the time. This was back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, a guy named Brother Andrew who um, would smuggle Bibles into communist Russia and China and the Middle East and, and all these, these places that were really dangerous. Every time he went to a checkpoint, he would pray earnestly <laughs> because he was in grave danger. And he knew um, this could be the moment that, that I get found out. And um, God continued to protect him through those things. Um, at one point, he tells the story of smuggling Bibles into China. And they had some folks in China that said, we really need Bibles. And so um, this was, this was um, a few decades ago when Bibles were really scarce in China. And so um, they, they said, we need one million Bibles. Okay, now he's used to like, he's got a, a hatchback and a case of Bibles in the back of it, and he's trying to get into East Germany or something. Well, this was, this was a little different. And so what they did was they got a barge and took a barge, I believe it's from Hong Kong, across to China, mainland China, and they took 230 tons of Bibles. They took a million Bibles in in a single night. And so it was quite the operation. It was more than just him by himself, obviously. Um, but they took all these Bibles in knowing that if they get caught, it's not good. And yet they did it anyway. Why would, you, why would somebody do that? Why would you take your life into your own hands and risk all of that to, to do this, to, to smuggle Bibles into China? Well, it was because they understood this is the best news anybody could have. And they understood 
that the cross is worth boasting about. It's worth proclaiming, even if it means facing some opposition and persecution, even if it costs you your life. The world is crucified to me, and I'm crucified to the world. That's what Paul says here. And what a challenge that is to us, I think, because it can be so easy to fall into the trap of of wanting popularity and wanting comfort. You know, we, we live in in a very comfortable time. You know, we're here in this really nice building. It's warm. It's warmer than last week. Last week was a little chilly in here, but um, so many things that God provides in this current season for us. We, we have a lot of comfort, and yet that comfort we can get too attached to. And so then when, when any kind of opposition comes to our faith, we, we run the risk of, of not being able to do what Paul said of saying, I am crucified to the world, and, and the world is crucified to me. As Paul concludes this letter, he gives a few more comments that, that are interesting and worth pointing out. So verse 16, Paul says, And as for all who walk by this rule, and the word rule there is talking about a standard, uh, a standard of or principle of, of understanding things, and it's really everything that he's been talking about with the gospel. For those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Oh man, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Upon the Israel of God. Now there are, there are whole books written about this. <laughs> there are a lot of ink has been spilled through the years trying to figure out what Paul meant by the Israel of God. Sometimes I wish the Bible was just a couple pages longer. If, if he could just explain just a couple things, you know. Um, there's a lot of debate around that, and the big question is whether the Israel of God is speaking about all Christians, like these are the, the new people of God, or is this spe- specifically pointing to Jewish people who have put their faith in Christ? Right? So that, that's the distinction. Is this referring to all Christians, or is it just referring to Jewish Christians? And so if, if we have time in the next hour, this is my little sales pitch, we're going to be talking about some of this. We're doing a class in the covenants. This is really relevant to what we're going to be talking about. And so we may get into that a little bit more. You can hear more of my thoughts about this. But here's the main thing that Paul's saying. And I just want to make sure we stick to the point of what is Paul saying here. He's making a distinction between the Judaizers, these false teachers, and the true children of Abraham those who have real, genuine, saving faith, the Israel of God, right? The real Israel, not the false Israel, the real Israel, the Israel of God. And so he's one last time kind of taking a jab at these guys and saying these are false teachers. Stay away from them. He's making this distinction between the false teachers and those who have saving faith in Christ. And what he says here is is beautiful. There is peace And there is mercy from God for those who put their hope in the cross of Christ, not in anything else. Not in anything else. There is peace and there is mercy from God. Verse 17, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What were these marks of Jesus? This is probably Paul's wounds or his scars from being persecuted as a Christian, and he's saying the, the Judaizers are attempting to prove their sta- status based on circumcision. 
I bear the true mark of being a Christian. I have suffered for my faith in Christ. And so he's making this distinction. And then at the end here, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brother, brothers. Amen. When Paul says, grace be with you, I mean, that just sounds like a flowery end to a letter. <laughs> That's a nice thing to say. But um, he's not just using flowery language. He means it. If you receive Christ as Savior, you are a brother or sister in Christ, and you receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's God bestowing His favor on you in your life. And that's what Paul is saying to those who receive this message. You will receive grace. And so, man, that, that message of grace. I think it's easy to think um, that we don't deserve the grace of God. Um, at times, I think we can feel bad about our sin and feel that in some way we are ugly. And that really points back to what Paul's been saying here, is that something as ugly as the cross can become beautiful through what God has done. That God can take the ugliness of the cross and make it beautiful. Uh, I said earlier that the message of the gospel is always personal. And it's personal because we all have to decide what we're going to do with the gospel. And so there's, there's kind of two aspects of this I want to point out. One is for those who are Christians here, for those of you who've already put your faith in Christ, how do we present the message of the gospel if we have faith in Christ? Are we proud and confident and able to boast in the beauty of the message of the cross, or are we kind of like a little bit ashamed? Um, I remember in high school, I wanted to be bold in my faith in Christ, but I also wanted to be cool. <laughs> and the reality was I wasn't, but I so badly wanted to be cool. And so as a result, I was really afraid to speak up about my faith in Christ. Um, I remember uh, my uh, youth pastor decided he was going to have this um, Bible study that we could invite our unsaved friends to. And I carried around the little flyer for that thing for like two weeks, wanting to invite my best friend to that Bible study, and I just couldn't do it. I was just, I was just so afraid of, I guess, rejection or something like that, that I, I just struggled so badly with, with presenting this thing. Paul says his only boast, the only thing he can brag about is the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you guys, like, this is good news, right? The word gospel means good news. And we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. We need to be willing to boldly proclaim it and recognize, yes, some will be offended by this. And yet it is amazingly good news. So for those who are not Christians, if, if anybody here has not come to a place of, of really making a decision about whether or not to follow Christ in your life, um, just recognize what Paul's saying here. He's saying something as offensive as this execution tool could become beautiful because of what it means. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. It says, The word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's really the point. Why is the cross so beautiful? It's because it's the power of God in our lives, giving us the ability to to be right with God, to to be reconciled to a holy God that we're one day going to have to stand before. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if you have not today, put your faith in the power of God, in His salvation through Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Um, take the time today. Um, we're going we're gonna to take communion here for, in a moment, and um, I just want to encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Christ, take time after the service today um, to talk with either Dan or myself. We would love to talk with you or, or your friend or, or whoever. Um, we would love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to accept His free gift of salvation. Um, we've been going through the, the letter here to the Galatians, and um, the reason I wanted for us to do this, um, for us to spend a few weeks going through Galatians, is because this letter is all about clarifying the gospel. And I think it's really important, I've mentioned this, it's really important that we as a church have a clear understanding of the gospel that it's faith in Jesus, and that's it. It's faith in Jesus Christ as the means for our salvation. We've talked all about that. But one last piece here, Paul says, okay, let let me have the pen for a second. (laughs) And he writes with his own hand, we ought to boast in the cross of Christ, right? That ought to be our greatest source of pride. That ought to be the only thing that we can brag about is I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. And he's done this amazing thing for me. And so I I just want to encourage you guys, um, as we finish here in in this letter to the Galatians, let's make our boast be in the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we recognize... um, first and foremost, that we, we don't deserve this, Lord. It's not like we are such amazing, wonderful people on our own that, that um, you're privileged to have us, Lord. Um, you have extended mercy to a people who were rebellious against you. Lord, this is, the, the gospel is not something great about us. It's something great about you. And so, Father, we recognize your generous, overflowing love that you have extended to us, the favor that is available to us through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, Lord, that um, each and every one of us would grow in our appreciation of that, that each and every one of us would receive that new birth, that we would become new creations through faith in Christ. And Lord, as we um, turn now to to, um, take communion together, Lord, may we remember these things. And we pray this in Jesus' name.